uh, Merry Christmas Eve. Kind of a weird, you know, Christmas is tomorrow, Christmas Eve is today, but thank you for choosing to worship with us today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Austin Despain. I am the youth director here at the church. Uh, I've been here for right under two full years, and apparently I've said enough good things that they let me keep preaching. So uh, I get to preach again today, but I'm really excited. Uh, I'm very glad. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and start opening up to Luke chapter 2. Uh, but really, to get us started this morning, uh, I would like to ask you all a question, and I would like you all to turn to someone close to you and answer this question. What is your favorite part of the Christmas season? Your favorite part of the Christmas season? Turn to someone close to you and tell them your favorite thing. Don't be shy. What's yours? Yeah? Okay, so I'd actually love to hear uh, what y'all have said. So what I, what I would like for someone to do, if you're feeling confident, uh, just shout out. What's your favorite part of the Christmas season? Okay, not everybody at once, one at a time. Uh, I heard someone say Jesus. That's probably the right answer. You know, if you said Jesus, you know, you're going to heaven. You can go ahead and check that one off. Uh, what are some other things? Church. Yeah, there you go. Also a great answer. Uh, someone over here. Being with the family. What else? Someone from the back. Music. Yeah, thank you. Uh, anyone else have anything to add? These are all great things. Living it up. All right. <laughs> okay, well. Uh, those are all great answers. Those are all great answers. Thank you for those who have shared. Uh, I would be willing to bet, though, that nobody in this room said that your favorite part of Christmas was going to hang out with shepherds for a few days. I bet nobody said that. I would also be willing to bet that no one said that your favorite Christmas tradition is sleeping in the backyard. I bet nobody said that. Uh, I would also be willing to bet that no one said that your favorite part of the Christmas season is walking to Lubbock and back. Did anybody say that? Yeah, no one said that. Yeah, that's not, that's not things that we do. But the truth is, uh, these three things are all things similar, at least to what Jesus did uh, at the original Christmas. These are all things that happened to our Messiah, to Jesus. Uh, and it's easy to forget the true cultural differences between now and Jesus' day. So if I was to ask the question to you guys, y'all know the answer. What's the real reason for the season? We've already gone over this. We can all say, Jesus is the reason for the season. That's the right answer. Uh, but it is so easy. If we're honest, it is very easy to get distracted, and it's easy to get busy, uh, and it's easy to focus on maybe like the things of Christmas, such as the Christmas music, or such as the lights, or the decorations, or giving gifts, or getting the best deal on Black Friday, or fill in the blank, or even making memories. Uh, those are all great things, but everything can turn bad if we're too focused on them. It's easy to be focused on the traditions of Christmas. Uh, you know, a lot of us have traveled. A lot of people have traveled here, so thank you for being here, uh, all the way from other towns. And so, 
it's really easy to get distracted. I mean, eating big meals together with the family, opening gifts next to the tree, all of which are good things, but there is something that we should be focusing on more. And if we can confess together, it's easy for us to get distracted, and it's very easy to get busy and to get overwhelmed in the Christmas season. Uh, You know, as I get older and older, it's becoming more relatable uh, to Charlie Brown's Christmas. Whenever he says, you know, is, is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Uh, and then Sweet Linus stands up, and he is sucking his thumb, and he's carrying his blanket with him, and he says, I know what it's all about. And he starts reciting, actually, a verse from the passage that we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 21. Uh, But before I start reading, uh, let me pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word and to worship you, uh, and just to be in your presence uh, with the body of Christ, with your body. So Lord, uh, today we celebrate you, and we praise you, and we thank you, and you are deserving of it all. So would your word Uh, be a light to our heart this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and we give thanks. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, Luke chapter 2. It is on page 1090 of your Red Pew Bible. Okay, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he is of the house and lineage of David. And he's to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, this is the Christmas story, classic Christmas story. Uh, You've probably heard this before. Uh, This is a very common story. It's even pretty well known, like outside of the church walls. Uh, And so what I would like for us to do today uh, is really zoom back in on the life of Jesus and uh, what his birth was like and the people that were there, uh, the events that went down, and just everything to do with it. And I believe uh, that whenever we do take a closer look, uh, we can really see that Jesus's birth is only ever looking forward to his life's mission on earth. Uh, We can see that Jesus' birth is pointing forward to the life that he's going to live and to the death that he's going to die and the resurrection uh, that will take place in his life too. So uh, we're going to—I would like to start by introducing Luke like kind of as a whole. So Luke was written by Luke, you know, fun fact, Bible trivia. Uh, It was written by probably Luke the physician, who is not a firsthand witness— Uh, of the things that Jesus did, but he recorded this gospel. He wrote everything down based on interviews that he held with eyewitnesses. So really, he interviewed like uh, Jesus's mother, Mary. He probably interviewed Peter, probably interviewed the other disciples. And so based on their eyewitness accounts of Jesus's life, he compiles the gospel of Luke. And his work is really a two-part work. Luke is part one, and the book of Acts is part two. So really, we see it's just one big gospel, and he's writing about the life of Jesus. And so even if we recap chapter one, there's already so much going on in this book. Luke chapter one starts with an introduction to the book, why he's writing what he's writing, why he's doing this. And then it goes into what I would say is the beginning of Jesus's origin story. Jesus' origin story lasts for really Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, and Luke chapter 3. Total, that's about 170 verses. And so the verses that we're looking at in Luke chapter 2 is like the middle 22 verses. There's 170 verses total in the Gospel of Luke about Jesus' origin story. And so even in chapter 1, some very significant things have already happened that we miss if we only focus on chapter 2. We miss a character named Zacharias, who is a priest in the temple, who is the father of John the Baptist. Uh, And Zacharias, while he's in the temple one day performing his priestly duties, he is visited by an angel. This angel says that he's going to have a son, even though he was really old, he could still have a son. Uh, And he says, basically, you can't be serious. Like, how do I know this is going to happen? And so what happens to him is he becomes mute. So he walks into the holiest place, performs his priestly duties, and leaves the holiest place not being able to speak. Uh, So things didn't really go his way. For the next nine months, until his baby is born, he is not able to speak. He's not able to speak again until John, his son, is born. So his son is John the Baptist, who we're also introduced to in chapter 1. We see that John the Baptist is this Elijah-type prophet that is going to come into the world that is going to make straight the way of the Lord. He's going to clear the path for God's Messiah. 
So John the Baptist is equally as, par- as much a part as the Christmas story as Jesus is. They go hand in hand. John the Baptist is only ever pointing to Jesus as Messiah. So that also takes place. Uh, his name is John, which means God is gracious. Uh, this prophet, John the Baptist, while he's still in his mother's womb, he leaps inside of Elizabeth's womb, his mother, uh, whenever Mary walks in the room, who has already conceived Jesus. So even before Mary probably even knows that she's pregnant, she walks into a room and a baby is leaping. John the Baptist is leaping. He's already overjoyed and he hasn't even been born yet. This is so incredible. This is such a cool story. It has so many little parts. Uh, we, in chapter one, there consists of two pretty famous songs, a song of Mary and a song of Zacharias, uh, both about God bringing his reconciliation into this world and into their lives. They sing songs. We miss two other angel appearances just in chapter one. So really, after recapping chapter one, we can really see that Jesus' birth story is really an incredible like multi-piece symphony being composed by God as he is ushering his own son into the world. We can see that there's so many details that matter in Jesus's birth story. And we're going to continue to look a little bit closer, and we're going to continue to see more about Jesus. So we're going to start actually in chapter two now. Uh, We've spent a long time contextualizing this, and so we're actually going to start in chapter 2. So in verse 1, I would like to point out really the first point. Uh, The people that are involved are ordinary people, but they are given extraordinary responsibilities. Ordinary people are involved, but they are given extraordinary responsibilities. When we look at the life of Mary and Joseph, uh, Mary was probably as young as like 14 years old whenever she was pregnant with Jesus. And so we see uh, she was engaged to Joseph. So there's already some like marital tensions there. Like Mary's pregnant with a baby that is not from Joseph. Kind of awkward. Like that's kind of weird. But Mary is a young teenager. Joseph is probably also a younger teenager too. Uh, Mary is probably learning to be a seamstress. She's probably learning to Uh, you know, cook large meals, uh, maintain the house, things that they did in their culture. Joseph, on the other hand, was probably an older teenage guy who was probably practicing carpentry with his dad. Uh, Carpentry in their day also included like stone masonry. So he's learning all these things. He's learning the job. Mary's learning the job, uh, staying at home and caring for the family from a mother's perspective. And so all these things are happening. And then They're living as Jews in a Roman world. So they probably already feel out of place just based on where they are living. Then they have to travel to a different town. I said earlier, uh, no one walks to Lubbock. We don't really do that. Uh, The distance from Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph are from originally, to Bethlehem is right around 120 miles kind of unbelievable. I mean, Mary, imagine Mary, seven or eight months pregnant probably at this point, walking 120 miles. 
uh, the last part of the road would be a very steep incline on basically a trail that they would call a road. Uh, And in the last 20 miles of the trip, you would gain about 4,000 feet of elevation. So just imagine this journey. I mean, imagine how they're feeling. Like, imagine how exhausted Mary is. Imagine how stressed out Joseph is. And that's part of the original setting of Jesus' birth. So as we have seen, Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, everyone else involved, they're just ordinary people. They're just living in their world. And they're just going about their days, doing what they're supposed to be doing. But then all of a sudden, they are given extraordinary purposes. They are given extraordinary purposes. And that's the same for us today, too. Uh, we are all pretty ordinary people. You know, I'm nothing special. You might feel the same. But we are all given extraordinary purposes whenever we are living in God's kingdom. That's the first truth that we see in Jesus' birth story. So, uh, a few differences I would like to point out between like year zero or about year zero Christmas versus year 2023 Christmas. Uh, So, God appears first, the angels appear to shepherds, and kind of strategically so. So here's why. Uh, They're traveling to Bethlehem, which is the city of David, and David was a, he was a shepherd. So, of course, the first people who are going to understand that God's Messiah has been born to them is in the town of a shepherd. Shepherds are the first ones. So there's something that's really strategic that seems to be going on here. So uh, I would like to look at what the picture is of a manger specifically. So a manger uh, is not like a California king-size bed with 600, you know, cotton thread sheets, uh, like with doesn't have a sleep number bed. Like it's not that kind of thing. A manger is where sheep eat and drink. So imagine, I mean, it's more similar to like a, a pig, a pig trough or a horse trough or a cattle trough than it is to the alternative, the California King situation. Would have been nice. Uh, that would be nice for all of us, but that's not the That's not the true origin of Jesus. So this manger is for feeding and watering sheep. So imagine, and these things don't get washed. So like imagine like the layer of residue that is on that thing. Like imagine the smell that's in the sheep pen where the sheep are that's around where Jesus was born. Like imagine that smell just for a second. I mean, imagine the bird's nests, the cobwebs, like all of the nasty things. Like there's probably two to three feet of like sheep manure around Jesus whenever he's born. This is the original setting of Jesus's birth. It's not pretty. It's not what we would expect. It's not at all the life that we live today. And so it makes sense that the angels appear to shepherds first because they say there's been a Messiah born to you and he's been born in a place that you wouldn't expect to find him. 
He's been born in a manger. He's been born in a manger. And so the shepherds go, and the shepherds know what a manger is. So they know how to find him. They go in, and they are able to find Jesus because that's their world. Also ordinary people given extraordinary purposes. They're the first ones to come find Jesus. Imagine how the shepherds must have felt. That's another thing I kind of noticed when I was reading and studying, like, just, I mean, imagine these shepherds are probably as young as like eight or nine years old, uh, boys and girls, the youngest in the family. We see David was a shepherd. He did the same. Imagine what they're feeling in the middle of the night, in the darkness, in the silence. There is a sudden flash of light and a multitude of angelic hosts singing a song. Like, what a jump scare. Like, how terrifying would that be? I mean, it makes sense that they were scared. It's the middle of the night, and they're not expecting that. And they're probably jumping. And of course, they're saying, this is an incredible thing. Like, let's go see what happened. So it really seems like God is trying to say something without really saying it, like verbatim. Like God isn't saying, you know, this is Jesus' birth. It smelled bad, and it wasn't pretty, and he was probably covered in a layer of filth and like sheep saliva residue. Like that's not, he didn't say that. That's not what the text says. But that's the culture that they would be living in. And so it seems like God is trying to say something about the snapshot image that we have of Jesus' birth. And I think the answer to what is God trying to say is found in the name Jesus. We see in the book of Matthew, we see in the book of Luke, we see in the book of Isaiah what Jesus' name truly means. I mean, the name Yeshua, it means God saves. It means God saves. And so we can see, based in this text, that this person God saves really has an extraordinary task and is already living an extraordinary life and he's only been alive for a few days at this point. And the picture of Jesus' birth is really looking forward to his life's purpose. Uh, we see that this person named God saves is born into a dirty, stinky, nasty sheep pen of all places. Not born in a house, not born in a hotel, not born in a hospital. He's born in a sheep pen. That's his origin story. We see this person, God saves. He's going to teach and he's going to preach about a light that is shining into the darkness. He's going to teach about a narrow path lifestyle. He's going to walk with his disciples to the unholiest of places, such as Caesarea Philippi, which is like Las Vegas on steroids. He's going to go to the Decapolis, which is like Gentile city, and there's a bunch of pagan worship there and a lot of really bad stuff that goes on. We see this person, God saves, is going to touch the impure. He's going to speak to the unclean. He's going to heal the sick. He provides for the needy and is generous to all, generous to everybody. But we also see that this person God saves is hated by the proud and by the rich and by the elite. 
You know, the good news of Jesus' birth truly is good news for someone who knows that they are a servant, and it's bad news for someone who thinks they are a king. This is, these are all things that we see, and th- we see that this person, God saves, God's Messiah, Jesus, is arrested, he is tortured, he's embarrassed, and he's eventually killed. We see that this person, God saves, absorbs the sin of the world, takes all the sin upon himself, and he carries the weight of that sin into the grave with him. But the story doesn't end there. We see that this person, God saves, comes back to life, and he defeats sin and death once and for all. He leaves the sin in the grave, and he eventually ascends back into heaven. We see that this person, God saves, truly has become the spotless lamb, being completely clean, completely blameless. And he cannot be defiled by the dirty, by the nasty, by the stinky, by the disgusting world of sin that he was born into. You see, Jesus' birth is looking forward to the life that he's going to live. The life for us that we can confess our sin to him and we can leave our life of sin and we can become clean. That's what Jesus' birth is all about. He's not born into a pretty world. Even the context where he was born, it's not pretty, doesn't smell good. It doesn't smell like Miss Meyer's lemongrass cleaner, lavender cleaner. It smells like sheep manure. It smells like nasty, dirty things. And that's just a metaphor for our lives today. We all live lives of sin. Uh, We live in a sinful world. But Jesus truly has become the good shepherd for us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God, thank you for an opportunity to recognize uh, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for displaying yourself to us. Thank you that we can even know who you are, that these words have been passed down through generations, and that we can be called sons and daughters of the living God. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this holiday. God, would you continue to lead us in righteousness and lead us in the celebration of Messiah coming into this world for us. God, thank you again for today. We love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.